you please stand and join us in celebrating what Jesus has done to save us this morning. Wash away my sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, this I see. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this my plea. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow, no other fount I know, nothing but the blood of But the blood of Jesus, oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. really good to see y'all here this morning. But it is a weird thing. If you think about it from maybe an outsider's perspective, we just got done singing a lot about blood. Jesus's blood. That's kind of weird, right? To sing about somebody's blood. What does that represent in the Bible? Well, it represents life, the life of Jesus. And in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, you had to sacrifice animals often to cover sin. It was the blood of the animal that stood in place of our own life, our own blood, as payment for sin. But none of that truly did away with sin. 
It wasn't until Jesus' blood was spilled, until Jesus' life was given on the cross. That's what Hebrews reminds us. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Jesus died once, once and for all, and his blood, his life, was full payment for our sin. And now we celebrate that, and we eagerly wait for him to return together. We're so glad again that you're all here, and a special welcome to any of you who are visiting us. If you would, as we continue to worship, take out the worship folder that hopefully you picked up as you walked in. Inside there, you'll find all sorts of information about the church and events that are going on, but also you'll find it this checking card. And if you would be so helpful to us as to fill that out real quick, or you could hop on the church app, you can download that and fill it out virtually as well. If you fill out the card, you can also let us know any prayer requests you have on the back uh, or praises. And at the end of the service, you can slide it into the white tables at either entrance. There's a little slot, and you just slide it in there. If you're visiting with us, um, you can take this and go outside these double doors here, and there's a welcome desk. You can give this piece of paper to them, and they will give you a gift just to say that we love you and also to give information to you about the church and answer any questions that you may have. Well, next week, next Sunday, is Graduation Sunday. And we are going to celebrate our graduees from high school and college. And so we would love for you to be a part of that celebration. All morning, out there in the Fireside Commons, just beyond that wall, we're going to celebrate. Um, there's going to be different things that you can see who is graduating out there. But we'd also like to invite all of you, yes, all of you, to a lunch celebration for all of our graduates that will be in the intersection building at 12 p.m. after the second service. So that is an open invitation. We would just ask that you'd help us with planning for food, that if you want to come to that, just sign up. You can do that through the app, or you can sign up for the lunch on that check-in card that I mentioned to you, or you could call the church office. There's many ways to let us know, but that would just be helpful for planning food. But even if you forget, we still want you to come. So... That is next Sunday, and that'll be an exciting time. Now we have something exciting to do. We're going to do, I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Kevin, because we're going to do a parent dedication. This will be awesome. morning. Today is a special day in the life of the church family as we get to uh, honor our parents and dedicate our parents and children. We call this a parent-child dedication service. And you say, well, what in the world is a parent-child dedication? I don't remember reading that phrase in the Bible. Well, guess what? It's not in the Bible. In fact, what we're about to do is not something that Scripture commands us to do. So you say, well, then why would we do this? So we don't, it doesn't change the eternal status of these children. So it doesn't make them saved. It's not the Baptist version of infant baptism. You know, this is just why would we call parents up with young children, recognize them, and pray over them? Why would we do something like that as God's people? Well, part of the reason why we do that here at Newcastle is because of Psalm 78. Psalm 78 says this. It says in verse 5, God commanded our fathers to teach their children 
that the next generation might know the will of God to the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Translation, we love children and we love parents who desire to teach their children God's ways and God's character. And so this is our simple way here at Newcastle Bible Church of being able to celebrate and honor parents and the children that God has given to them. So I'm going to call up right now the Springer family and the Cook family, if you would come on up with your children. And the way that this works is um, we're going to ask the parents, we call this a parent-child dedication, because you're going to notice I'm going to ask all my questions to the parents. And not to the kids, because <laughs> the kiddos are pretty small yet, okay? And that's okay. So we're going to ask three questions to the parents, and then we're going to ask a question to you as well. So all of you as the church family gets to participate in this. So on this side of me, we have the Cook family. We have Kevin and Anna Cook with their son, Joshua David. And on this side, we have Doug and Jade Springer with their son, Kai Mitchell. So we're so great to have these two families. So, Cooks and Springers, I'm going to ask you some questions. By coming here today, I'm going to back up so I can kind of stand behind you. So by coming here today, um, are you recommitting as parents first to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength by His grace as individuals, as Christians before Him? Yeah. And then are you committing by coming today, are you committing to... Renew your marriage covenant and to love your spouse as Christ has loved the church for the sake of his gospel witness in your home. Yes. And then by coming today, parents, oh, we're so proud of you. To parent is not an easy task. It's a beautiful ministry. But to parent, are you coming today as parents to make a public commitment to say that by God's grace, you want to bring up these boys in the nurture and admonition of the Lord so that they might know the ways of God, and they might know the character of God in your home. Yes. Now, church, this is our opportunity. So as you see the Cook family and the Springer family, do we, church, make a commitment to them to join with them and to pray with them for God's grace in their children and to partner with them in making disciples to teach these children God's ways? Will you, church, commit to praying and loving these families with the gospel? Yes, we will. So families, we love you. We're so thankful for you. And kiddos, we love you. We love to pray right now for, for each of them. So uh, Joshua, would you allow me to hold you while I pray for you? Can I hold you? If not, we can try it. Hi, buddy. We want to pray for you right now to, to Jesus, okay? So we're going to fold our hands and we're going to talk to God, okay? Dear God, I'm so thankful for Joshua. You've given him life and you've blessed the Cook family with this little boy. And so as his church family now, Father, we just come and we pray a prayer of blessing upon this young little boy. That you would work powerfully in Joshua's life. That you would show him Jesus and that he would understand your ways that he would grow up to walk in righteousness and integrity, that you'd surround him with godly friends and that you would pour the fullness of God into his soul. 
Father, we pray for Kevin and Anna that you give them wisdom and grace and patience and strength and help. Oh, Father, just give them much help as they seek to raise this little boy that he might know of your ways and he might know of your beauty. Father, please bless Joshua. And all of God's people would say, Amen. Good job, buddy. Good job. <laughs> Is Kai going to let me hold him? Hi there. Hi. Can I pray for you, buddy? Oh, you're so precious. Oh, you're so precious. Let's pray for this little, little one. Father God, I just pray right now for Kai. Oh God, that you would please pour out your spirit upon this young little boy that you would be gracious to him, that you would encourage him and help him to grow and develop into a young boy and a young man and, a, and then a strong man of character, and a man of conviction, a man of, of, of your gospel. Oh, I pray, Father, that you'd pour out your favor upon Kai and be gracious to him and give him your peace. Father, I pray for Jade and for Doug that you would give them wisdom, that you'd give them strength, that you'd give them help, Help them, Father, in this beautiful ministry of parenting. I pray, Father, that you just please be gracious to this dear Springer family and encourage them with your love. Oh, Father, as their church family, we're so thankful for how you're working in their lives, and we just pray that you'd please glorify yourself, glorify yourself in this dear family, we ask, and all of God's people would say, amen, amen. So, uh, loved ones, we have a, a small little gift to give you on behalf of the church to encourage you in your parenting. We, we like to give our young parents a, a parenting book, a discipleship book called Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. And so, enjoy that as that helps you better understand the scriptures as you continue to raise up these children for the glory of God. So, let's thank the Lord and thank these parents with an applause, and may God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, would you please stand and let us sing and celebrate and worship our holy God. Who else commands all the hosts of could make every king bow down who else can whisper and darkness trembles only a holy God what other beauty demands such praises what other splendor shines the sun what other majesty rules with justice only a holy God come and behold him the one and the only Christ the 
the glory consumes like fire. What other power can raise the dead? What other name remains undefeated? Only a holy God. Come and behold Him, the one and the only. Cry out, sing holy, forever a holy God. Come and worship the Pray together with me. Lord, we recognize you as a holy God and what a privilege it is for us to come together. And we do come together this morning as your people, eager to worship you and to be built up that we might be considered among the faithful in your kingdom. We desire to be filled with the knowledge of your will. Give us spiritual understanding so that we might live lives that are worthy of you, lives that bear good fruit and are growing in our knowledge of you. Equip us, Lord, to live and serve with your strength, your endurance, your patience. Thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity to, to gather and, and do these things freely. There are many in our world who do not have this freedom. 
And yet they worship you anyway, because you are worthy. Don't let us take our freedom for granted or fail to use it in ways that demonstrate our belief that you are indeed worthy of all of our worship and all that we are and have. Father, thanks for the opportunity this morning as well to uh, dedicate these parents and children, and we look forward as a congregation to seeing them uh, be nurtured and growing in you. Lord, we're grateful for Bethany Community Church in Washington. And as Pastor Bennett continues his sermon series in the book of Acts, we pray, Lord, that your mission for the church will be understood in its present-day context as well as in history. I pray, Lord, that you would give their adult and children's teachers clarity as they communicate your word in Sunday school and in small groups as well. We thank you for them. Thank you for the fellowship that we have with like-minded churches in our area. And we thank you, Lord, for um, our own staff and our uh, teachers as they provide the learning opportunities that we enjoy. Lord, as we pray this morning, we want to give thanks as well to you for providing Shane Knapp with the strength and character to impact the lives of young men. <clears throat> in need of your Holy Spirit transformation at Salem Ranch. He's the right man for the job, and we recognize your hand in his life. Thank you, Lord, for his praises that uh, in recent days, former students have, have wanted to, to visit and reconnect with the ranch. And that's a testimony to the effectiveness of the ministry that takes place there. It's an encouragement to the staff. Uh, and I thank you, Lord, for the diligent work they do. Speaking of staff, there continues to be a, a need for, uh, <clears throat> for godly men who have a calling to invest their lives in young men by serving as cottage staff. So, Lord, we ask you to provide the men who have the spiritual gifts to meet that need. And then, Lord, here at Newcastle, our elders continue to seek an associate pastor of care and discipleship. You know who that man is, and we ask that you reveal him in your time. <clears throat> and in the meantime, we ask you to strengthen the hands of those who work hard to perform, perform those ministry duties. And this morning, as we begin a new study series with, uh, from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we pray that the, the richness of our identity with Christ will strengthen our church, equip us to serve you well as a united body of believers, fully prepared to live God-glorifying lives in this world. I pray that you would guide Pastor Kevin as he speaks and teaches and give us open hearts and minds to receive your truth. Indeed, your word is truth, and we anxiously wait upon you for it. So thank you, Father, for giving us your Son for our salvation. Thank you for that shed blood we spoke of, that we sang about earlier this morning. We pray that we may honor you well this morning in everything that we do. And we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and express with us awe that we would have grace and peace with God the Father after all the sin we've committed against him.
Thank you, team. Undeserved kindness, that's grace. Perfect wholeness and oneness, that's peace. 
Oh, what a joy to sing of the results of God's salvation in sinful hearts like mine and like yours. We are a people who are united in God's grace. We are recipients of his peace. And today we get to open our Bibles to Ephesians and begin our brand new sermon series on building up the body. So if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles. Just raise your hand nice and tall. We'd love to give you a copy of God's Word as our ushers come by. Ephesians is in the last half of the New Testament. It's right after Galatians, right before Philippians. In fact, one way that I remember where Ephesians is in my Bible is through the little mnemonic or acronym, General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. General Electric Power Company. See, that's how, if that helps you keep them all in order, then use it. Now, before we read scripture together, I just want to quickly highlight one more announcement of something that's going to be happening next week at 9.30 during our Sunday morning. So next Sunday morning, you are all invited to join us for our annual celebration meeting at 9.30 here in this room. During that hour, we're going to review all of God's faithfulness to this church family in the last 12 months and look forward to what we are excited about God doing and praying for God to do among us and through us in the next 12 months of our ministry together. If you're already one of our members here, you should have already received a copy of our proposed budget for the financial priorities for the next 12 months. All of our members will be voting on to approve that budget uh, next week when we meet. So don't miss out on this special hour that we have planned. There's so much amazing work that God's Spirit is doing among all of you and through you right now in this season. This is an awesome time to be part of Newcastle Bible Church. It's thrilling to be part of this family with you. And when I try to recount all the ways that God's Spirit is at work in us and through us in these days, it moves my heart to worship. It moves my heart to great gratitude and profound thanksgiving for what he is doing here. So by God's spirit, we are fulfilling the work of his mission as we're glorifying God together by growing deeper and reaching farther. So next Sunday, we get to celebrate that, make sure and plan to be with us. Now today, we begin our new sermon series from Ephesians. Believe it or not, we've planned almost 30 sermons for us on these six chapters. That's going to take us all the way up to Christmas this year. And it's such a timely study for us in our church family right now. Our elders have wisely chosen building up our church body as our ministry theme for the next 12 months of our ministry together. And and when you think about this, so the last two years, our, our ministry themes have been the art of neighboring and loving our community. And those reaching farther themes have served us very well as we've gone through the corona season together and it's helped us keep our focus out, outside of ourselves to navigate through that time. But... But now, as, as more of us are emerging from isolation and re-engaging with the local church, 
we see a great opportunity to strengthen our understanding of God's design for his church. This is a super strategic time for us to be focusing on rebuilding up our own church body because whether we want to admit it or not, corona has changed all of us. And all of the changes have not been for the better. Many of us are now re-entering body life, church life, a bit more jaded, a bit more cynical, a bit more like consumers rather than family. And so we could all benefit right now from this refresher from Ephesians where God's design for his local church renews and refreshes our body life beliefs and practices. So please prepare yourself to be richly encouraged and filled by the truths of this glorious letter. Ephesians is already a favorite book of the Bible for many of us. And so I'm praying that as we go through this study, that more of this book will be mauled over and memorized and lived out for God's greater glory here at Newcastle Bible Church. Today, as an introduction, our sermon is going to provide the historical background for Ephesians, the overarching themes in the book of Ephesians, and then we're going to focus on the double-stuffed opening found in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1. So let's read those verses now. Before we begin, I'd invite you to stand in honor of the public reading of God's Word as I read from the ESV translation from Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Father, I can't think of anything that I need more right now than your grace and your peace. If you would pour out more of your grace and peace on every single person here listening right now, oh God, we would be the most blessed. Grace and peace, undeserved kindness and favor, shalom and wholeness, oneness with you, oneness with each other. Father, there's so many things right now that is threatening our ability to receive your grace and peace. Uh, you, you tell us in your word that you, you give grace to the humble. So I pray right now, if there's any pride in my heart, if there's any pride in us, that you would cleanse us, that you would wash us with your good news of grace so that that pride would be surrendered and repented of even in this hour. Oh God, please forgive us for our pride, forgive us for our self-righteousness, forgive us for even on a Sunday morning how often we compare ourselves among ourselves and this is not wise. Father, I pray for the distractions, all the cares of the world that, that want to choke out the glories of your grace. Oh, I pray this morning that, you, that your spirit would, would weed our souls and that we would have clear, focused attention on Christ. 
Please, Father, open the ears of our heart that we might hear. Open the eyes of our mind that we might see the beauty of Jesus this morning. May you bring salvation. May you bring sanctification. May you purify marriages and families and lives and hearts and minds by the power of your word, we ask. And all of God's people would say, amen. Well, this week, I got to work through the book of Ephesians several different times with this goal in mind. I was trying to figure out, how do I summarize the entire point of these six chapters in one sentence? I would love so much to hear what you come up with when you try to do that, because that's a thrilling but challenging assignment. What one sentence captures the full meaning and the weight of these six chapters of Ephesians? Here's the best summary sentence I was able to come up with so far. The main point of Ephesians, I believe, is this. That God has united us in grace so that we would live in love with one another. God has united believers in his grace for a purpose, so that those believers would live together in love and in this way would bring much glory and much praise to our God in the church. So notice then, Ephesians has a lot to say about unity and grace and love. From a bird's eye view, Ephesians contains, Ephesians contains two distinct sections that are connected with the therefore clause. So the first three chapters in Ephesians are all about the calling of the church, what God has done to create the church according to his divine purpose and plan. Then the last half of Ephesians, chapters 4, 5, and 6, are focused on the conduct of the church, how we should live together as his body. So Ephesians is all about Christians conducting themselves according to God's calling, living out who God has made us to be. The first three chapters reveal our position in Christ. The last three chapters reveal our practice as his body. The first three chapters are indicative, describing what we should believe. The last three chapters are imperative, commanding us how we should behave. Now, there's so much packed into this brief letter it's really hard to summarize in a simple chart like this, but, but just notice for now that chapter 1 marvels at our spiritual blessings in Christ and then ends with this prayer for greater understanding of our riches in Christ. Chapter 2 describes how God saves every sinner by grace and then he becomes our peace by making us one together in Christ. Chapter three explains the mystery, or you could write down the new revelation, that Gentiles actually join with the Jews in the same body of Christ. And then chapter three closes with this prayer that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Isn't that a glorious prayer, church? That we might be filled with all the fullness of God 
of God. Chapter 4 starts with the therefore, urging us to live consistent with who God has made us to be by his sovereign grace. And in these last three chapters, Paul commands us to walk five different times. And then he ends in chapter 6 with the command to stand. So in chapter 4, we're commanded to walk in unity and walk in holiness. In chapter 5, we're commanded to walk in love and walk as children of light and walk in wisdom. And then in chapter 6, after finishing the wisdom commands for the household and the marketplace relationships, Paul commands us to stand firm against evil before praying for God's grace to be with all who love Jesus with an undying love. So again, the thread that runs through this entire book and ties it all together is this main point, that God has united us in his grace so that we might live in love together. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian, according to Ephesians. God's calling for us means that we ought to conduct ourselves as his body on earth together, a body that is always seeking to build itself up in love. Now, with that overview of Ephesians layout, let's back up a bit and briefly consider the historical context or the historical background for Ephesians. You ready for this? Excited? Are you awake? You guys seem sleepy. Here we go. Historical background. After all, the better you understand a scripture's original audience and the scripture's original historical context, the better we can apply that message of the text to ourselves as well. So look carefully with me at the first verse of Ephesians, where we see that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to who? To the saints, Christians, who are in Ephesus. Now, most likely, this letter would have also been passed around to the other churches in the region. So the message of Ephesians is not only relevant to the church in Ephesus, it's also relevant to all churches and even the other churches in that region at that time. But since the Bible talks so much about Paul's ministry in Ephesus, it's helpful for us to understand that Ephesus was a very influential, diverse city in Asia Minor, which is today what we call Turkey. I emphasize that emphasis was diverse because I want you to know that Paul was writing to a group of believers who came from a very diverse background, both Jews and Greeks, from all kinds of ethnic backgrounds. So during Paul's lifetime, Ephesus was a key city in the Roman Empire. It had a population of about a quarter million people. It was the Roman capital of Asia. It was the gateway shipping port for Roman trade going from Rome to all of Asia. But Ephesus was far more than just a strategic shipping port. In the first century, Ephesus was known for its culture, for its religion, and for its magic. Its influence on the world of its day was comparable today to a Hollywood or the Vatican. 
For example, according to Acts 19, verses 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul spent over two years lecturing and ministering in the lecture hall of Tyrannius in Ephesus, which was right next door to the Celsus Library, which would be built 50 years after Paul's time, whose majestic ruins are pictured in the slide. And this library in Ephesus was considered to be the third largest library in the world at the time. It contained over 12,000 scrolls to, to testify again of the impact of Ephesus as a cultural uh, strength or a cultural educational influence to the world at this time. The amphitheater in Ephesus was actually the largest in the world. It was designed to hold up to 50,000 spectators. And this was the exact theater where Demetrius and his mob held two of Paul's companions hostage during the riot of Acts chapter 19. Remember, Demetrius was a silversmith. He made idols for the goddess of Diana. And he was protesting the negative influence of Christianity on their idol cells. After all, Ephesus was the Mecca or the world center for all worship of the goddess Artemis, whom the Romans called Diana. The huge temple of Artemis in Ephesus at Paul's time was so magnificent. It was literally one of the seven wonders of the world. The temple was 400 feet, 450 feet long. 225 feet wide, 60 feet tall, containing 127 marble pillars. And this goddess Artemis was believed by the Romans to be one of the most powerful goddesses of their time. And so as you read through Ephesians, be sure to notice Paul's emphasis that God has the supreme power over all. Because Diana was considered to be the strongest god to the Romans. But the people who are living under the influence of this false religion in Ephesus, they were particularly obsessed with sorcery and magic, which helps us better understand the context behind Paul's confrontation with the seven sons of Sceva in Acts chapter 19 and why the new believers in Ephesus would often gather together and burn all their magic books once they became followers of Jesus. Therefore, all this meant that Ephesus was a very strategic, very strategic focus of Paul's missionary efforts. If he could reach Ephesus, then the gospel would have a path to all of Asia. And while I don't have time this morning to really unpack this, I want you to quickly note the significance of Ephesus for Paul's apostolic ministry. In Acts chapter 18, we read both about Paul and Apollos' first ministry in Ephesus, around 52 to 53 AD. And then on Paul's second missionary journey, he spends two and a half years preaching the gospel in Ephesus, which you can read about in Acts chapter 19. Then he leaves Ephesus, and a year later, in Acts chapter 20, Paul reconnects with the Ephesian elders. So the elders of the church in Ephesus, he reconnects with them at the shipping port of Miletus, and the tenderness and the affection of that Miletus meeting with the elders of the Ephesian church 
shows us how much Paul loved this church in Ephesus. He cared for this church in Ephesus. But Acts chapter 20 records the last face-to-face meeting with Paul and the Ephesian Christians. Since by the time that Paul writes this letter that we call Ephesians, and he probably wrote it sometime between 60 and 62 A.D., So by the time he wrote this letter, Paul is writing from prison in Rome. Ephesians 4.1 and 6.20 both reference his current chains. Acts 28, at the end of that chapter, provides some background context to what his house arrest was like in Rome when he wrote Ephesians and and, uh, Colossians. So I find it interesting, by the way, that Paul didn't just write one letter to this church in Ephesus, but since young Timothy, Paul's protege Timothy, since young Timothy pastored in Ephesus, both 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy were written to given pastoral encouragement to this church in Ephesus as well. And then, of course, in Revelation, the apostle John writes a letter from Jesus to the church in Ephesus calling them to return to their first love at the end of the first century, around 92, 96 AD. So that's the historical background behind what we're about to study. So now that we've reviewed the historical background of Ephesians, let's consider the major themes, major themes of Ephesians. And this is where it gets really exciting, church, (laughs) because you cannot read through Ephesians without seeing the obvious point of unity. God made us one in Christ. In the first three chapters, unity is presented as a fact. God himself has made us one. But in the last three chapters, unity is presented as the goal. It's something we must all actively work towards in love. So in these six chapters, the word one is used 14 times. And the phrase in Christ is used 38 times, which communicates clearly that the basis for the unity of the church is always what Christ has done. Don't miss this right now, church. The basis for Christian unity is never any human tradition. It's never any human culture. It's never any human preference. That is not the basis for our unity together. What unites Christians together is not our music. It's not our doctrinal convictions. It's not our ministry methods. According to Ephesians, the basis for our unity is that God himself has made us one in Christ. In chapter 2, verse 16, Jesus made all of us one body together through his death on the cross. In chapter 2, verse 18, every Christian is given the same spirit through Jesus. In chapter 4, verse 3, Paul exhorts all Christians then to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, for there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the 
One hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So do you hear the emphasis on oneness? So then don't miss this. God made us one in Christ, all by his sovereign grace. Our oneness together as Christ's body is entirely based on God's grace. Our unity as Jesus' body on earth is an undeserved gift. This theme of God's sovereign grace is especially emphasized in the first half of this letter. Look at me, look with me at chapter 1, verse 7. It speaks of the riches of God's grace. Chapter 2, verses 5 and 8 say that we were saved by his grace. So that in verse 7 of chapter 2, God might forever show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness to us through Christ Jesus. And this is sovereign grace. Because all throughout Ephesians, God's grace is rooted squarely in God's own choice, in God's own eternal purpose. Look, at, look with me at chapter 1, verse 4. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Verse 5. God predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to what? The purpose of his own will. In verses 9 to 10, our salvation is according to God's purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. In verse 11, our inheritance with Christ is predestined according to what? The purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his own will. In chapter 2, verse 10, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to do. In chapter 3, verses 9 to 11, Paul describes the church as this hidden plan of God, which is according to the eternal purpose of God that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is sovereign grace. This is God's choice. This is God's plan. This is God's purposes. This is God's will and the fulfillment of the counsel of his own will. Oh, as you read through Ephesians, church, be prepared to feel very small in comparison to our all-powerful God who is graciously, graciously at work within us for his greater glory in his church. A third major theme in this book is love. God has made us one in Christ by his sovereign grace so that we might build each other up in love. Nowhere is this more clearly stated than in chapter 4. Look at chapter 4 verses 15 to 16 where Paul urges us to speak the truth with one another in love. Why? So that we can grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, 
joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Chapter 5, verse 2, reinforces the same theme, calling us to walk in love towards others just as Christ himself has loved us and gave himself up for us. So isn't this thrilling? (laughs) Ephesians is putting thematic emphasis on how the church has been made one in Christ, all by God's sovereign grace, so that we might build one another up in love. And why is this important? Why is it important that there's a corporate assembly of believers together that truly love each other? Why is that important? Because when Jews and Greeks truly love each other, when Republicans and Democrats lay aside their political arguments, and the rich are eager to share with the poor, and the body is truly starting to build itself up in love. It's all for the praise of God's greater glory. Just like chapter 1, verse 6 says, to the praise of his glorious grace. Or verse 12, so that we might be to the praise of his glory. Or verse 14, to the praise of his glory. Chapter 3, verses 20 to 21 capture this beautifully when Paul prays, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and forever. Amen. So as we begin teaching through Ephesians, Be watching for these themes. God made us one in Christ, all by his sovereign grace, so that we might build one another up in love, all for the praise of his glory. The main point of Ephesians is that God has united us in grace so that we might live together in love. Now, all of that is simply the introduction to our study of the text itself. So in the time we have left today, let's dive into the double-stuffed opening of Ephesians in the first two verses. And I say double-stuffed because I want you to all think about Oreo cookies this morning. I know you're hungry. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But if you look carefully at these first two verses, you'll notice there's four different ideas here, and they're all presented in pairs. They're, they're, They're four ideas of doubles. For example, in the beginning of verse 1, we find the double authority for Paul. Look at the text. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So Paul, remember, is writing from Roman imprisonment back to the church at Ephesus, and he grounds his authority. He anchors his authority for what he's about to say in the fact that he's an apostle of Christ Jesus and he's an apostle by the will of God. He has two grounds for his authority. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus and he's apostle by the will of God. Now quickly, the the word apostle generally just means a sent one. But in the New Testament, an apostle is actually a, a technical term. 
It's a technical term for someone who's been an eyewitness of Jesus' resurrection body. Not only are they an eyewitness of Jesus' resurrection body, but an apostle is given the spiritual ability to authenticate the preaching of the gospel with miracles. Not only are they an eyewitness of Jesus' resurrection body who has the ability to do miracles, but they've received a special divine commission from Jesus to be one of his apostles and to serve in a foundational role of the church as an apostle. So technically speaking, apostles cannot exist today since all the eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection body were limited to the first century, of course. But notice Paul's claim here. The double authority for his writing comes from the fact that Christ Jesus made him an apostle and the will of God made him an apostle. Both the Son and the Father gave Paul this spiritual authority. So Paul is not being willy-nilly with his counsel here. He's not... He's not speaking out of personal ambition or personal agenda when he writes to Ephesus. Paul is speaking as one who is owned by Jesus and sent by God. He's not writing his own thing. He's writing by God's will and by God's initiative. And notice then the double identity of the Christians that he's writing to. He says, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and who are the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, saints, when we hear that word, it's kind of a weird word. If any of you have a Catholic background, for example, you you hear that word and you start to think about, well, a saint is somebody who's been canonized by a church council. No, 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 don't think, that's not at all what this word means. A saint is someone, is is not someone who's extra holy. In the scripture, a saint is, is just someone who's been set apart, consecrated by God for salvation in Jesus. So biblically speaking, every Christian is a saint because every Christian has been set apart and declared positionally righteous or holy by God. But every Christian is not only a saint that's giving a righteous position before God in Christ Jesus, but every Christian is also faithful in Christ Jesus, meaning every Christian is a person who actively trusts in Jesus for their salvation. There's no way to be a Christian apart from faith in Christ. So church, if if God's spirit has caused you to be born again and given you new life in Christ, then the message of Ephesians is for you. For you are a saint and you are one who is full of faith or actively believing in Jesus for your relationship with God. Now look at the double blessing which Paul expresses to such Christians. The double blessing is grace to you and peace. So grace is God's undeserved kindness or favor. And peace is the result that comes to all who receive God's grace. So grace is the good news of the gospel in one word. (laughs) That God is willing and able to forgive my sins. 
And God is able to empower me to overcome temptation and sin in my life today. That's grace. That's such good news. And peace includes both ideas of the sinner's oneness with God and the sinner's oneness with other Christians. He has made us one. He's become our peace. He's broken down the dividing line between us. We have peace with God and peace with others. So grace is the cause. Peace is the effect of God's work among believers. Now, I know I'm racing through this, so let me just pause. Do you have a personal experience with God's grace and peace? I mean, really? Could there be anything better to pray for yourself or for your loved ones that God would pour out on them more of his grace and peace? Now notice the double source of the blessing. The double source of the blessing is actually the same as the double authority for Paul's apostleship. Both grace and peace come from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look how personal Paul makes this. God is not just the Father. Do you see that? He's our Father. But the grammar clearly makes the Father, one with the Son here. So it's using two different labels to describe the same God. So God not only gives us grace and peace as our Father, but he also gives us grace and peace as our Master, as our Lord, Jesus, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Deliverer. He has all power and authority in heaven and on earth. No amount of demonic stronghold, no amount of sorcery, no amount of magic that may be in our culture is stronger than our Lord. Our Lord is our Father, and it is His sovereign will that bestows grace and peace into our experience. Now, Paul's just getting started as he begins to unravel and lay out this inexhaustible richness of our salvation in Jesus. So here's the begging question for today. Have you personally experienced God's grace and peace? Are you believing in Jesus? Are you in the position of one of God's saints? If not... Oh, God's grace is being offered to you right now, today. You can have peace with God, absence of conflict, wholeness, shalom, oneness with God, everything being right again by simply turning from your sins, repenting of your sins, putting your faith and trust in Jesus' death and resurrection in your place. Turn from your sinful ways. Believe in Jesus. He died on the cross and rose from the grave to bring you to God and give you peace forever with him and make you part of his body on this earth. Oh, pray. 
pray that God will give you more of his grace, more of his peace, for all authority in heaven and earth belongs to our God. He is all-powerful, and he is all-gracious, and he would never cast out anyone who comes to him. Ephesians is going to be a great study for us. I'm so excited to walk through this text with you. I'm eager to grow deeper into Jesus as we learn how God has united us in his grace so that we may live in active love for one another. We must not succumb to the cultural pressures for isolation and independence that are swirling around us. Instead, church, Ephesians is calling us to glorify God by living out who he has made us to be together as his body on the earth, as his church who exists for the praise of his glory. Ephesians is going to challenge us to truly become who we already are in Christ, to live out the fullness and the richness of who Christ has made us to be together, his body to rediscover the joys of God's good design for his church and to recommit ourselves to building up one another in love. So start reading through Ephesians. You might pick out a verse that you want to memorize or maybe a a passage of verses that you want to memorize during these next several months of our study. And pray, pray for more grace and peace. For God has united us together in his grace for a purpose, that we might live together as his loving body for the sake of his eternal glory. Let's pray now. So Father, we just pray that you'd please give us more of your grace and more of your peace. We know that when we pray that, Father, we don't deserve it, but that's what makes grace so amazing. It's never deserved. (laughs) By definition, it's always your kind favor and your mercy. Father, I pray that if anyone here is clinging to sin, maybe it's the sin of greed or the sin of bitterness or the sin of unforgiveness or the sin of apathy or the sin of selfishness or the sin of lust or the sin of pride, I I pray, Father, that you would please Free us. Oh, may your grace appear, bringing salvation, that we might triumph in the peace of God and the peace with one another. Oh, Heavenly Father, please glorify yourself at Newcastle Bible Church in spite of us. Make us one, all by your sovereign grace, that we might build one another up in love for the praise of your glory, and all of God's people would say, amen. Why did God create the world? Ah, I sound very loud. Why did God save us? Why do you come to church? Why do you pursue holy living? It's to the praise of his glorious grace that all praise goes to him. All honor and glory and love, adoration goes to him. Would you please stand and let us give him all praise.
All praise to Him, the God of light, who formed the mountains by His might. All praise to Him who names the stars that sing His fame in skies afar. All praise to Him who reigns in love, who guides the galaxies above, yet bends to hear our every prayer with sovereign power and tender the Son, the Servant King, who left behind His glorious throne to pay the ransom for His own. All praise to Him who humbly came to bear our sorrow, sin, and shame, who lived to die, who died to rise, the all-sufficient sacrifice. Now to him who is able to keep you from suffering and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. All praise to him whose power imparts the love of God within our hearts, the spirit of all truth and peace, the fount of joy and holiness. To Father, Son, and Spirit now, our souls we lift, our wills we bow, to you the triune God Loving hearts our song of praise To Father, Son, and Spirit now Our souls we lift, our wills we bow To you the triune God we raise With loving hearts our song of We were created for God's glory, and there is no greater satisfaction to the human soul than to experience the glory of God. I hope I never tire of saying that. I hope you never tire of hearing it. Oh, church, you were made for the glory of God. Stop pursuing your satisfaction in your careers. Stop pursuing your satisfaction in your education. Stop pursuing your satisfaction in your toys on this earth. You were made for the glory of God. Your satisfaction will come when you are delighting in his glory. There is no greater satisfaction for your soul than to know God. So know him through Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Jesus. Live in obedience to his word and God will satisfy your souls. You won't be promised a prosperous life for you will be like Jesus and he was a suffering servant. But you are promised the eternal weight of glory that far surpasses this momentary light affliction. So church, be encouraged. We are rich 
in Christ. I'm ready to preach again. <laughs> We're going to pray our benediction today from the uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 to 21. This is going to be our benediction throughout the uh, entire series. So if you don't yet have a verse that you're hoping to memorize, this would be a great one because we're going to say it and pray it out loud together every week together. And hopefully in that way, it will become ingrained into our culture and our way of thinking and our way of life here at Newcastle. So let's pray this out loud together. And we'll start by reading the reference and then going into the prayer. Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed.